Part Two, Chapter Five of True Stories from History and Biography by Nathaniel Hawthorne. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Rejected Blessing Cotton Mather, continued Grandfather, was a bitter enemy to Governor Dudley, and nobody exulted more than he when that crafty politician was removed from the government and succeeded by Colonel Shute. This took place in 1716. The new governor had been an officer in the renowned Duke of Marlborough's army, and had fought in some of the great battles in Flanders. Now, I hope, said Charlie, we shall hear of his doing great things. I am afraid you will be disappointed, Charlie, answered Grandfather. It is true that Colonel Shute had probably never led so unquiet a life while fighting the French as he did now while governing this province of Massachusetts Bay, but his troubles consisted almost entirely of dissensions with the legislature. The king had ordered him to lay claim to a fixed salary, but the representatives of the people insisted upon paying him only such sums from year to year as they saw fit. Grandfather here explained some of the circumstances that made the situation of a colonial governor so difficult and irksome. There was not the same feeling towards the chief magistrate now that had existed while he was chosen by the free suffrages of the people. It was felt that, as the king appointed the governor, and as he held his office during the king's pleasure, it would be his great object to please the king. But the people thought that a governor ought to have nothing in view but the best interests of those whom he governed. The governor, remarked Grandfather, had two masters to serve, the king who appointed him and the people on whom he depended for his pay. Few men in this position would have ingenuity enough to satisfy either party. Colonel Shute, though a good-natured, well-meaning man, succeeded so ill with the people that in 1722 he suddenly went away to England and made complaint to King George. In the meantime, Lieutenant Governor Dummer directed the affairs of the province 
and carried on a long and bloody war with the Indians. "'But where was our chair all this time?' asked Clara. "'It still remained in Cotton Mather's library,' replied Grandfather. "'And I must not omit to tell you an incident "'which is very much to the honor of this celebrated man. "'It is the more proper, too, that you should hear it, "'because it will show you what a terrible calamity the smallpox was to our forefathers the history of the province and of course the history of our chair would be incomplete without particular mention of it accordingly grandfather told the children a story to which for want of a better title we shall give that of the rejected blessing one day in seventeen twenty one dr cotton mather sat in his library reading a book that had been published by the royal society of london but every few moments he laid the book upon the table and leaned back in grandfather's chair with an aspect of deep care and disquietude. There were certain things which troubled him exceedingly, so that he could hardly fix his thoughts upon what he read. It was now a gloomy time in Boston, that terrible disease, the smallpox, had recently made its appearance in the town. Ever since the first settlement of the country, this awful pestilence had come at intervals and swept away multitudes of the inhabitants. Whenever it commenced its ravages, nothing seemed to stay its progress until there were no more victims for it to seize upon. Oftentimes, hundreds of people at once lay groaning with its agony, and when it departed, its deep footsteps were always to be traced in many graves. The people never felt secure from this calamity. Sometimes, perhaps, it was brought into the country by a poor sailor who had caught the infection in foreign parts and come hither to die and to be the cause of many deaths. Sometimes, no doubt, it followed in the train of the pompous governors when they came over from England. Sometimes the disease lay hidden in the cargoes of ships among silks and brocades and other costly merchandise which was imported for the rich people to wear and sometimes it started up seemingly of its own accord and nobody could tell whence it came the physician being called to attend the sick person would look at him and say 
It is the smallpox. Let the patient be carried to the hospital. And now this dreadful sickness had shown itself again in Boston. Cotton Mather was greatly afflicted for the sake of the whole province. He had children, too, who were exposed to the danger. At this very moment he heard the voice of his youngest son, for whom his heart was moved with apprehension. "'Alas, I fear for that poor child,' said Cotton Mather to himself. "'What shall I do for my son Samuel?' Again he attempted to drive away these thoughts by taking up the book which he had been reading. And now, all of a sudden, his attention became fixed. The book contained a printed letter that an Italian physician had written upon the very subject about which Cotton Mather was so anxiously meditating. He ran his eye eagerly over the pages, and, behold, a method was disclosed to him by which the smallpox might be robbed of its worst terrors. Such a method was known in Greece. The physicians of Turkey, too, those long-bearded eastern sages, had been acquainted with it for many years. The Negroes of Africa, ignorant as they were, had likewise practiced it, and thus had shown themselves wiser than the white men. Of a truth, ejaculated Cotton Mather, clasping his hands and looking up to heaven, it was a merciful providence that brought this book under mine eye. I will procure a consultation of physicians and see whether this wondrous inoculation may not stay the progress of the destroyer. So he arose from grandfather's chair and went out of the library. Near the door he met his son Samuel, who seemed downcast and out of spirits. The boy had heard, probably, that some of his playmates were taken ill with the smallpox. But as his father looked cheerfully at him, Samuel took courage, trusting that either the wisdom of so learned a minister would find some remedy for the danger, or else that his prayers would secure protection from on high. Meanwhile, Cotton Mather took his staff and three-cornered hat and walked about the streets, calling at the houses of all the physicians in Boston. They were a very wise fraternity, and their huge wigs and black dresses and solemn visages made their wisdom appear even profounder than it was. One after another he acquainted them with the discovery which he had hit upon. But these grave and sagacious personages would scarcely listen to him. The oldest doctor in town contented himself with remarking that no such thing as inoculation was mentioned by Galen or Hippocrates, 
and it was impossible that modern physicians should be wiser than those old sages. A second held up his hands in dumb astonishment and horror at the madness of what Cotton Mather proposed to do. A third told him in pretty plain terms that he knew not what he was talking about. A fourth requested in the name of the whole medical fraternity that Cotton Mather would confine his attentions to people's souls and leave the physicians to take care of their bodies. In short, there was but a single doctor among them all who would grant the poor minister so much as a patient hearing. This was Dr. Zabdul Bolston. He looked into the matter like a man of sense, and finding beyond a doubt that inoculation had rescued many from death, he resolved to try the experiment in his own family. And so he did. But when the other physicians heard of it, they arose in great fury and began a war of words, written, printed, and spoken, against Cotton Mather and Dr. Bolston. To hear them talk, you would have supposed that these two harmless and benevolent men had plotted the ruin of the country. The people also took the alarm. Many who thought themselves more pious than their neighbors contended that if Providence had ordained them to die of the smallpox, it was sinful to aim at preventing it. The strangest reports were in circulation. Some said that Dr. Bolston had contrived a method for conveying the gout, rheumatism, sick headache, asthma, and all other diseases from one person to another, and diffusing them through the whole community. Others flatly affirmed that the evil one had got possession of Cotton Mather and was at the bottom of the whole business. You must observe, children, that Cotton Mather's fellow citizens were generally inclined to doubt the wisdom of any measure which he might propose to them. They recollected how he had led them astray in the old witchcraft delusion, and now, if he thought, and acted ever so wisely, it was difficult for him to get the credit of it. The people's wrath grew so hot at his attempt to guard them from the smallpox that he could not walk the streets in peace. Whenever the venerable form of the old minister, meager and haggard, with fasts and vigils, was seen approaching, hisses were heard, and shouts of derision, and scornful and bitter laughter. The women snatched away their children from his path, lest he should do them mischief. 
Still, however, bending his head meekly, and perhaps stretching out his hand to bless those who reviled him, he pursued his way. But the tears came into his eyes to think how blindly the people rejected the means of safety that were offered them. Indeed, there were melancholy sights enough in the streets of Boston to draw forth the tears of a compassionate man. Over the doors of almost every dwelling a red flag was fluttering in the air. This was the signal that the smallpox had entered the house and attacked some member of the family, or perhaps the whole family, old and young, were struggling at once with the pestilence. Friends and relatives, when they met one another in the streets, would hurry onward without a grasp of hand, or scarcely a word of greeting, lest they should catch or communicate the contagion. And often a coffin was borne hastily along. Alas, alas, said Cotton Mather to himself, what shall be done for this poor misguided people? Oh, that Providence would open their eyes and enable them to discern good from evil. So furious, however, were the people that they threatened vengeance against any person who should dare to practice inoculation though it were only in his own family this was a hard case for cotton mather who saw no other way to rescue his poor child samuel from the disease but he resolved to save him even if his house should be burnt over his head i will not be turned aside said he my townsmen shall see that I have faith in this thing. When I make the experiment on my beloved son, whose life is dearer to me than my own, and when I have saved Samuel, peradventure they will be persuaded to save themselves. Accordingly, Samuel was inoculated, and so was Mr. Walter, a son-in-law of Cotton Mather. Dr. Bolston likewise inoculated many persons, and while hundreds died who caught the contagion from the garments of the sick, almost all were preserved who followed the wise physician's advice. But the people were not yet convinced of their mistake. One night a destructive little instrument called a hand-grenade was thrown into Cotton Mather's window and rolled under Grandfather's chair. It was supposed to be filled with gunpowder, the explosion of which would have blown the poor minister to atoms. But the best-informed historians are of the opinion that the grenade contained only brimstone and asaphotida and was meant to plague Cotton Mather with a very evil perfume. This is no strange thing in human experience. 
men who attempt to do the world more good than the world is able entirely to comprehend are almost invariably held in bad odor but yet if the wise and good man can wait a while either the present generation or posterity will do him justice so it proves in the case which we have been speaking of in after years when inoculation was universally practised and thousands were saved from death by it the people remembered old cotton mather then sleeping in his grave they acknowledged that the very thing for which they had so reviled and persecuted him was the best and the wisest thing he ever did grandfather this is not an agreeable story observed clara no clara replied grandfather but it is right that you should know what a dark shadow this disease threw over the times of our forefathers and now if you wish to learn more about cotton mather you must read his biography written by mr peabody of springfield you will find it very entertaining and instructive but perhaps the writer is somewhat too harsh in his judgment of this singular man he estimates him fairly indeed and understands him well but he unriddles his character rather by acuteness than by sympathy now his life should have been written by one who knowing all his faults would nevertheless love him so grandfather made an end of cotton mather telling his auditors that he died in seventeen twenty eight at the age of sixty-five and bequeathed the chair to elisha cook this gentleman was a famous advocate of the people's rights the same year william burnett a son of the celebrated bishop burnett arrived in boston with the commission of governor he was the first that had been appointed since the departure of colonel shute governor burnett took up his residence with mr cook while the province house was undergoing repairs during this period he was always complimented with a seat in grandfather's chair and so comfortable did he find it that on removing to the province house he could not bear to leave it behind him mr cook therefore requested his acceptance of it i should think said lawrence that people would have petitioned the king always to appoint a native-born new englander to govern them undoubtedly it was a grievance answered grandfather to see men placed in the station who perhaps had neither talents nor virtues to fit them for it and who certainly could have no natural affection for the country the king generally bestowed the governorships of the american colonies upon needy noblemen or hangers-on at court or disbanded officers the people knew that such persons would be very likely to make the good of the country subservient to the wishes of the king the legislature therefore endeavored to keep as much power as possible in their own hands 
by refusing to settle a fixed salary upon the governors. It was thought better to pay them according to their deserts. Did Governor Burnett work well for his money? asked Charlie. Grandfather could not help smiling at the simplicity of Charlie's question. Nevertheless, it put the matter in a very plain point of view. He then described the character of Governor Burnett, representing him as a good scholar, possessed of much ability, and likewise of unspotted integrity. His story affords a striking example how unfortunate it is for a man who is placed as ruler over a country to be compelled to aim at anything but the good of the people. Governor Burnett was so chained down by his instructions from the king that he could not act as he might otherwise have wished. Consequently, his whole term of office was wasted in quarrels with the legislature. I am afraid, children, said Grandfather, that Governor Burnett found but little rest or comfort in our old chair. Here he used to sit, dressed in a coat, which was made of rough shaggy cloth outside, but of smooth velvet within. It was said that his own character resembled that coat, for his outward manner was rough, but his inward disposition soft and kind. It is a pity that such a man could not have been kept free from trouble, but so harassing were his disputes with the representatives of the people that he fell into a fever of which he died in 1720. The legislature had refused him a salary while alive, but they appropriated money enough to give him a splendid and pompous funeral. And now Grandfather perceived that little Alice had fallen fast asleep, with her head upon his footstool. Indeed, as Clara observed, she had been sleeping from the time of Sir Hovenden Walker's expedition against Quebec until the death of Governor Burnett, a period of about eighteen years. And yet, after so long a nap, Sweet little Alice was a golden-haired child of scarcely five years old. It puts me in mind, said Lawrence, of the story of the enchanted princess, who slept many a hundred years and awoke as young and beautiful as ever. End of Part 2 Chapter 5